David, what are you doing? We're trying to start a show here. Uh, I'm blocking out my schedule for like Saturdays throughout December. They're like booked. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, after, you know, work during the week doesn't allow me a whole lot of time. So, you know, got to get my shopping done. There's Christmas lights to go see Christmas parties. It's, it's crazy busy. Patty, I'm not blocking out my schedule for the holidays. And what are you blocking them out for? Uh, I mean, like Alabama, Purdue, uh, Houston, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Illinois, Kansas State, LSU, uh, Auburn, Indiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma. Um, Listen, you know, guys, the SEC championship is over and basketball has officially Texas, taken over the SEC. Texas, I hope you don't have any plans for Texas, Saturdays for the rest of the season because things are about to get cranked up to 11 on your weekend. Uh, now, early into March. We've got massive matchup after massive matchup coming your way now to Christmas and after that, we got conference play to go. So let us help you get your schedule set as we look into the past, present, and future SEC fall today on the Hoop Southbound Show. Our guest today is Isaac Bourne of Sports Illustrated, Mid-Major Madness, and the, a member of the United States Basketball Writers Association. And he's also a big Kentucky fan. Isaac, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys? Uh, my voice is still recovering from the Duke-Arkansas game, um, oh, but, you know, it, it'll eventually get back. But, uh, you know, doing pretty well today. <laughs> um, and yeah, that Duke-Arkansas game was – it was pretty intense. I remember I watched a little bit of it towards the end there, and I thought I, – I mean, I just was really excited to see – I mean, as a Kentucky fan, I was really excited to see Duke lose. So <laughs> I meant to say that was the one time that I think Duke and Arkansas fans just are not Duke, but Duke, Kentucky, or Arkansas and Kentucky fans, good grief, could agree on something. It was like, oh, Duke lost. Everybody's happy. Like the world was a better place for a little bit. But speaking of your cats and also an area of your expertise, we've been seeing a ton of upsets over the last few weeks in basketball. And we've got another mid-major team that beat a top 25 this week. UNC Wilmington uh, beats your Kentucky Wildcats 80-73. to um, But Kentucky's not alone here. It, it seems like we've had one of these losses at least once a week this season. Uh, we talked about it a little bit uh, a few weeks ago on this show. But, Isaac, why, why do you think we're seeing so many upsets from mid-major teams against some of the best teams in college basketball to start this season? Well, um, I think it happens a lot more. I think it happens a lot every season. I think just this season might be a little bit more prevalent, things like that. But um, this UNCW team going into them, though, I mean, they were they are a talented team. You see a lot of mid-majors do that, like have really, really good players that will you know, do players like Trudarian White, for example, where uh, you see this in the NCAA tournament, where if the lower seed beats the higher seed, they usually have the lower seed usually has one one guy that you know can go off and the other you no. Know, no team in the country can guard them. And that's exactly what happened with Trezarian White yesterday. He just he just absolutely went off. You, you saw he yeah, towards the end of that game, he was unable to miss a shot. He's just making fadeaways, getting to the line. I mean, he might have been might have missed a couple shots at the line. But I mean, that eventually, I mean, that never really they didn't really do anything for them because they won by seven. And uh, I mean, it just goes to a it shows a testament. It goes to it's a testament towards like how how like the parody in college basketball because you see call you see Kentucky beat Miami by 20 but then a couple games later um they or a couple days later they used to UNCW so i mean in college basketball you have such a 
crazy schedule to where you, you will you will have these trap games a lot more in the NBA than you do in um the, a lot more in this than you do in like the NBA, for example. Yeah, no, and I'm with you there. I could definitely see this being a trap game where you fell asleep after getting a big win and then you got hit by one of the best mid-majors in the country because they are in College Insiders' uh, top 25 mid-major basketball teams. I I do want to ask this, though, because Evan Maya put out uh, at the beginning of the season, he did an an analytical study on the transfer portal and where we saw these mid-major conferences breaking things down by 30% um, roster turnover and what his study actually showed was that it benefited both players and schools. Um, how much of the transfer portal do you think plays an impact in increasing the parity in college basketball these days? I mean, it's it's everything. You, As you've seen, uh, for example, for Kentucky, they have Antonio Reeves coming in from Illinois State. Uh, that's just one part of the transfer portal that has been a big deal. They had, I mean, they have Trey Mitchell coming in, things like that. So that it does affect those higher level um, those higher level D1s, but then you look at the lower level D1s and you give players that don't succeed at um, Power 5 schools a chance to be in the spotlight and eventually develop into who like who they meant to, who they are or who they need to be. And so you have lots of players like that. For example, I give example, uh, Julian Newman at West uh, Western Kentucky is doing really, really well after uh, kind of a, you know, not too many great seasons at Purdue. I mean, that's a perfect example right there. I, I'm with you there. Excuse me. Sorry uh, about that. It's Brandon Newman, not Julian Newman. No, no, it's all right. It's, it's a, trust me, if I had a nickel for every time I've messed up a name on this show, there's 300 teams. Um, like It's hard to keep up with all of them all the time. So I, I get it. Maddie, kind of your thoughts. I know we talked about this a little bit last week. I know we also talked about the continuity between rosters often on mid-major teams also being a little bit more stationary at times, and especially in these better teams. What's kind of your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I was going to bring up the transfer portal as well, just because we've talked about it so much lately with the transfer portal, the mix of freshmen for Kentucky. It's just one of those things you see consistency a little differently when you throw in all of those freshmen and, and they have a lot who, you know, Reed Shepard's been on fire lately, but he's 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 still a baby in, in terms of college <laughs> basketball. Like you're not going to hand the baby keys to the car and say, OK, drive us to the finish line. Um, just one of those things. I think you look again, the mix of freshmen, you look at the transfer portal and then, you know, I was watching the Appalachian state Auburn game right before we jumped on here. And they had mentioned, uh, one of Appalachian state's losses was from UNCW. And they talked about what a fantastic team they were and then brought up the Kentucky, uh, UNCW game. So it's, it's one of those things you're going to have great teams all over, um, and a lot of people aren't going to expect, you know, these blue bloods um, to take a loss somewhere, even though they don't realize that they're coming up against such good teams. Well, like well, I said, Appalachian State. Sorry about that. Oh, go I'm ahead. Sorry. Well, go Appalachian ahead. State. Uh, that's one thing. That's one reason why I thought Kentucky would easily beat UNCW. Appalachian State beat UNCW by thirty a couple weeks ago, and then UNCW followed that up with a bare, like a close win over Murray State. So I thought that UNCW was going to get trounced by Kentucky, especially in a new game with the new floor at Rep Arena. But that just goes to show just how much parity there is this season and how frustrating it is to rank college basketball teams right now because you just don't know. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I mean, like, count the number of teams that we thought were going to be at the top or somewhere in the top 25 coming into the season. How many of them now have a potential Q3 loss? 
I talk about Michigan State comes to mind with their loss to JMU. Uh, you talk about now this Kentucky team with their loss to UNC Wilmington, Arkansas with UNC Greensboro. Um, you're also talking, not LSU would not be outside the top 25, but they popped in my head. They lost Nichols. Um, it, the list goes on and, and, and on. Uh, how many of these, Isaac, do you think, out of the mid-major groups that we were kind of talking about, and there's going to be more matchups like this coming up because Arkansas plays Furman this week, who's also mm -hmm. a very good basketball team. Uh, how many of these will actually turn out to be Q3 losses, and how many might actually turn into Q2 losses? Well, for sure, I know that UNCW has a chance to, you know, they're in a great, they're in a, a decent mid-major conference. They have a chance to uh, be a Q2 loss. I'm pretty sure they will be. Same with, um, oh, who are you just talking about? UNC Greensboro. Um, so, same with UNC Greensboro. They have wins over Arkansas. Their only loss is to Vanderbilt, and that's a four-point loss. So they have all these quality wins. They beat UIC last week. UNC Greensboro, uh, at Mid-Major Madness, we do a weekly Mid-Major Top 25 as well. And I'm thinking about ranking UNC Greensboro close to my top 10 just because of all these quality wins they have. That Arkansas law, the Arkansas's loss to UNC Greensboro is looking better and better every day, every time UNC, UNC Greensboro gets a win. So... You have a lot of these mid-major schools this season that are finding success, but what's so frustrating is you have schools like I, I talked about Furman. You talked about Furman playing Arkansas tomorrow. They were really good at the beginning of the season. They they beat Belmont and then they they barely lost to UAB. But then they have these really really huge losses that show that they are still are a mid-major school, and so it kind of humbles you a little bit to show like, oh wait, these guys are still mid-majors. They're not they're not power fives. Yeah, no, and that's definitely part of the frustrating thing when you try to sort out all this data. Um, yeah, we'll get we're going to have the opportunity to talk a little bit more about a mid-major team in our game previews. Um, thank you for your insight there because I love mid-major basketball. We're definitely going to try to have you on for our mid-major report that we do here at some point. Um, but let's move on for one of those teams that are going to be playing uh, one of those teams we just talked about with Furman. Uh, Arkansas beat Duke on uh, Wednesday or on Wednesday night, in which I am still recovering from my. Uh, you know, exhaustion in the throat, poor vocal cords, however you want to phrase it in some way that won't make me look really, really stupid. Um, but Arkansas beats Duke 80 to 75 in Bud Walton Arena. Uh, it was a great night with a great atmosphere. Arkansas really needed a win here. Guys, what allowed Arkansas to get this W against the Blue Devils? And how does this win kind of change your perspective on Arkansas season? Isaac, you are the guest. We'll go ahead and start with you. Well, I really thought Arkansas was kind of down for the count. I thought it was going to be kind of like their football season this year. Just, you know, you expect have, you know, kind of mid to high expectations for them. And then they fell out of it. That loss to Memphis is looking worse and worse after Memphis loses to Ole Miss. But now you see, but then you see them beat Duke. And for in my when I first saw them beat Duke, it was in my head, is it, it is Duke not that good? Or is it that Arkansas just might be you know, one of those confusing mid-major, one of those confusing power five teams that, you know, has good losses, but then they play down to their opponents in lots of games. And, you know, one that's one concept I've looked into is they probably do play down and that's why they will ha do have these silly losses. And so, I mean, I'm looking at it and it's, uh, it's pretty even besides the field goal percentage because, but the field goal percentage is the, I mean, it's the big thing here. It, Duke took 67 shots. Arkansas took 53, but Duke made two more still. And it's just the fact that uh, it's that and then the rebound battle, uh, which goes down to it. Obviously, Brazil is everything that Arkansas expected him to be this season. And then Khalif battle is just as, is just that is that good, too. I mean, coming off the bench in that game, too. Yeah, he's definitely, in my opinion right now, probably the leader for six man of the year in, our, in the SEC. Uh, I mean, he's close to Arkansas's uh, points per game leader and he's coming off the bench in every one of these uh, games. 
Uh, Maddie, your thoughts on the Hogs win against uh, Duke? You know, I like the way you phrased that question, David. What allowed Arkansas to get the W? Bud Walton Arena. That, that's what it comes down to. I think, you know, if you didn't have that atmosphere, um, you know, everybody saw it. It was a record-breaking night um, in attendance for Bud Walton. I, I think, you know, coming off of those hard road games against some some good schools, as we saw, you know, uh, North Carolina against Tennessee game, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But, you know, rough losses, you come home a little downtrodden, but you have that fan base around you with that amount of people maxed out at 100%. If you don't get a win, there's definitely something wrong with your team. I would agree. Must said something about the fact late in the game, if they didn't pull off that win, he was going to have severe doubts in the confidence of his team. Um, but I will say also one of the things that we pointed out last week with Arkansas was the assisted turnover ratio. And while they ended up losing the turnover battle in this game, that did not take a pl- did not take place until the last few minutes when Dukes put that full court press on Arkansas. That's really what changed the turnover battle. Arkansas only was in single digits. I think they were down to five. Uh, with eight minutes, had five turnovers in the game with eight minutes left, if I remember correctly. Um, But Arkansas did a really good job not turning the ball over. And then L. Ellis led the team and the entire game in assists with six assists in that game. He had a great night from the point position. And I truly felt like this was the Arkansas ball that we've been, that has led them to success in the beginning of the year. Because what we saw in Atlantis was a lot of ISO ball, and things not necessarily working out the same way. So I, I'm really wondering if the offensive adjustments and the emphasis on sharing the basketball, because you have too many talented pieces on this team, not to be sharing the basketball because you have too many scoring threats. You have too many guys who could score in different ways on different nights. Uh, so the emphasis on sharing the basketball to me was a big, big deal in this game. Guys, any final thoughts on the Arkansas Duke game? I mean, I think it just comes down to, yeah, Bud Walton, Bud Walton Arena, like you said, is just a great, it's great environment for them to play in and yeah that assist those that assist rate the assist battle was big because arkansas had 17 assists compared to duke's 10 which is just a big which was a big catalyst for that game absolutely and like i mentioned in arkansas's losses in that stretch they were under 10 assists per game uh for those losses against memphis north carolina and uh, the other games they've been struggling in Uh, maddie did you have something you pointed at david um that i you know made a huge note of was that press. I mean, it didn't even look very strong, uh, the press coming out of Duke. So definitely something to watch out as we move forward. I think Arkansas is definitely going to be working on their uh, press break offense. Yeah, that that was the first time this season that I was really like, Musk, you really need to call a timeout because we know he doesn't like to use timeouts that much. But uh, I was really like, will you call a timeout and set a play up on this inbound so everybody's on the same page and make sure that everybody knows what's going on? He never called that timeout. Instead, he subs Debo Davis in, who is one of his more experienced guards um, on this team and had continuity of what Musk wants to see. So wasn't a bad move. I just really was like, will you please call timeout? Um, because I really felt like that's how Duke narrowed the gap in this game late uh, was that turnovers and the full court press issues. I, I just really, really would have liked to see the timeout. All right. So, guys, um, we mentioned this team just a minute ago. You talked about Memphis. Let's move on to a team that beat Memphis this week, and let's talk about Ole Miss. Uh, So this week, Ole Miss may have had their best week in what seems like forever for this program. Uh, They beat North Carolina State in dominant fashion in the ACC-SEC Challenge. Then they get the news that Moses Cisse is eligible to play immediately for Ole Miss. I, I don't know how. Go ask the NCAA. I don't have answers to those questions on how these waivers are actually working here. Nonetheless, he's going to be playing basketball. 
and then they beat Memphis uh, in the final minutes in what was, you know, a lead change in every 20 seconds it felt like in that basketball game. Ole Miss really struggled against some easy competition early in this year, but now you got to ask, is Ole Miss for real? Guys, it's a free-for-all. Let me Tell me about Ole Miss and your thoughts on them. Ole Miss is – I mean, you're right. They they have had some like incredibly close games with some, you know, not great teams, but then they can win when it matters. I thought Memphis was the best mid-major team in the in the country at one point in this season when after that Mizzou win they had and then going into Atlantis and getting wins over Michigan and Arkansas, I really thought that Memphis was going to be one of the better teams. And I thought Memphis was going to go into Ole Miss and absolutely trounce them. I thought and the same you, thing. Yeah. And then you just see you see something that uh, we didn't expect. So I think it just comes down to, uh, I think it just comes down to Ole Miss you know, coming to play. Uh, I mean, we talked about it with Bud Walton Arena with Arkansas and Duke home field, the uh, home court advantage is, is true, is real. Uh, I mean, obviously not for Kentucky, but um, like, this week. that's what happened here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was the best win. These are the best two wins they've had so far this season. Uh, North Carolina state 69th in Kim Palm. And then Memphis has dropped now to 42 in Kim Palm. Uh, Maddie, kind of your thoughts on what you thought about Ole Miss. I know you were watching the game and live tweeting it this week weekend. Yeah, so um, my my assistant for the day, my niece Caroline, was sitting there watching it beside me while we we're at my other niece's gymnastics meet. And every now and then she'd look over and she said, "I think I think the blue team's gonna win." And then she'd look again. I think the red team's gonna win. For for those at home, Ole Miss was wearing red. Memphis well, I wouldn't wearing, think Memphis obviously. would be wearing red. <laughs> <laughs> You know, just wanted to clarify. She's she, she's only six. <laughs> Not exactly the best sports analyst we've got out there. But, you know, that's to say, uh, like I put in our notes, it felt like there was a lead change, like every 20 seconds in the end of that game. And two weeks ago, you would have told me that. I would have said absolutely no way. Um, and then we heard that Musa Cisse is coming back for them. And then Brandon Murray as well back in to play for Ole Miss. So I think those two, you know, added a lot to this team. And those were the pieces that were able to get them this win uh, over Memphis. Um, You know, I still think Memphis is a fantastic basketball team. And something that I I wasn't expecting, a loss I wasn't expecting for Memphis there. Um, But Ole Miss came out with those new pieces to the puzzle and felt like it made everything click. Yep, it's definitely a fun game to talk. All right, we've talked about a lot of the uh, competition in the ACC-SEC Challenge. Of course, the challenge ends in its inaugural season in a 7-7 draw. Uh, we saw upsets. We saw statements from teams like Kentucky when they beat Miami. How did you feel about the challenge and how it went down in its first year and how it compared to the Big 12 SEC Challenge? Uh, Isaac, we'll start with you. I mean, I think it was a long time coming. I, you see the Big 12, the Big 12 and SEC Challenge I've always kind of considered the ACC as the biggest. If you talk about conference rivalries, ACC has had a big rivalry with the SEC in college basketball for a long time. As soon as once SEC started to pick it up with the basketball uh, competition, I mean, obviously you have Duke and Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky versus everybody, to be honest. Kentucky, North Carolina, Kentucky, Duke, the, all those rivalries. Uh, Kentucky, Louisville now is because since Louisville, uh, after Louisville moved to the ACC, you have all of these big rivalries. And so it's been a long time coming. And with these big wins like Arkansas at Duke, uh, North Carolina over Tennessee, I mean, Kentucky over Miami. I mean, it's going to it sounds like it looks like something that's going to be here for uh, for like be here to stay. 
Yeah, I thought with, it was a, yeah, I, I agree with you. It seemed to me like a very fun challenge. Um, Maddie, you were very hyped about this challenge, and um, especially because the matchup seemed very even. And when you ended in a 7-7 draw, I think your theory was right about how even this challenge was going to be. Uh, Maddie, what did you see this weekend or this week? Yeah, you know, I feel like last season when we did um, the challenge last year, you know, I felt like there were three, maybe four games that we got really excited about and were able to highlight and really get into it. But everything else just kind of felt a little off. Like it was another game on the schedule. You knew who was going to get the win. But in this one, you know, even the games that we thought were going to be more even were insane. Like it, the losses that happened weren't the losses that I called for, or a lot of times the ones that you called for. Um, and obviously on, on that side of the coin, you have the, the side of the wins um, on the other. So it, I feel like it just gave us a lot more excitement um, than the challenge that we had last year. All right. So besides the games we've been talking about, you know, Kentucky, Miami, uh, Duke, Arkansas, North Carolina State, Ole Miss, what other games stood out to you guys in this challenge as one that you really circled of great interest? Georgia, Florida State. Right. That's what, what I was thinking about. I was I was really impressed with both teams, actually. I really thought that th- those are two of the lower teams in both in both conferences. And they they still might be. But I mean, it was a fun game to watch. And I love good basketball. So Georgia, two point Georgia. If you all didn't know, Georgia had a two point win over Florida State um, with a game winner at, by Justin Hill at the end for for Georgia. So, I mean, uh, just another reason why even the lower matchups in some of these challenges can just be really exciting. Yeah, I, I thought for sure, like Georgia, Florida State is a perfect example. The lower portion or what people perceive as the lower portion of the SEC played really well. South Carolina, Georgia, Ole Miss, like those teams played really, really well uh, in this challenge and picked up wins. Um, the only really exception was Vanderbilt. Um, so like overall, it, it was the bottom of the conference really outperformed the top of the conference in a lot of ways. I felt like Maddie, what was one of the games that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, there were so many, like I said, there were a lot of losses that I didn't expect. Um, and then one of the one of the bigger ones that I was kind of shocked about was Mississippi State. One, one of my big surprises was Mississippi State. I really thought that they were going to get a, a decent-sized win over Georgia Tech. It's a team, you know, you haven't heard a lot of buzz about. We did mention them a little bit last week with Hubbard leading the way at 17 points. He was one of our guys that we mentioned that, they're 100% going to have to cover. I guess they didn't listen to our podcast. I don't know. <laughs> well, it tends to happen, right? Um, the one that I was really um, surprised by, um, not surprised actually, because I picked Virginia to beat Texas A&M, but it just seemed like everybody I talked to just kept thinking that Texas A&M was going to beat Virginia a- in Charlottesville. Um Look, that to me, that was not a game of of um, indictment against Texas A&M because Virginia has one of the best home court advantages in the ACC. They've got a really great player in Reese Beekman. Um, like they're they're a really good team. Like to me, that game did not scream, um, you know, some kind something's wrong with Texas A&M. I thought it was just shocking that so many people just overwhelmingly thought Texas A&M was going to walk into John Paul and pull that game out um, guys real quick before we move on. Did, I know Maddie, you picked Texas A&M Isaac. I don't know what your thoughts were on the game, but um, yeah, anything you want to share about that one? I mean, I picked Texas A&M too. I love Wade Taylor the fourth. 
I thought that I thought that they had that, especially on the road, because Virginia does not look like the same Virginia that they always do, that they always are. But I mean, I mean, they they pulled it out. It's something that I, you, I mean, you picked it perfectly. I mean, all it says on on this like little sheet I have, all Virginia, all five Virginia starters scored in double figures. So I mean, team basketball was really the main catalyst in that game. Absolutely is, and playing great defense as well. Maddie, any thoughts on the Texas A&M Virginia game? You know, I didn't by any means think that Texas A&M was just going to waltz in and beat Virginia, but I figured there would be a, a little bit more of a battle um, coming out of the Aggies. Um, you said over 10-point loss, I figured, if anything, it might be three to four points in a super close game, which I know earlier in the game it was a little bit closer. But, I mean, just something I think the Aggies are definitely going to have to work on kind of their matchups with defense because that one definitely looked off reviewing the highlights. Yeah. Like I said, I, it, it, this game doesn't change my perception of the Aggies. Um, I, like I said, I picked Virginia in this game uh, for reasons because I think Virginia early this season was fixing some things since they've got a, some new pieces on the roster, figuring a couple of things out early in the season. Um, but like, again, They've got a great arena to play basketball in Texas A&M on the road. Um, to me, Virginia is not a bad team. I think they're going to be moving up well in the ACC. I think they're one of the better teams in that conference. It was just kind of a slower start um, for Virginia, in my opinion. So for me, like the reason I'm pointing this game out is it's kind of how everyone else is perceiving this game. And I'm over here, not freaked out at all. So like, that's, that's, what's weird to me uh, yeah. about this the one. Only thing... Oh, sorry, David. The only thing, um, for me, with Texas A&M, I think, you know, the adjustment to playing without Julius Mar or Julia Marble is is it was very, very evident in that game. Um, you know, I'm interested to see how they move on and how they adjust to, to play without him um, and kind of see where that goes down the road. Well, we are going to talk about Texas A&M versus Memphis in our game previews coming up. All right, before we get to our pre uh, game previews, we do have some serious news that needs to be talked about in this conference. Uh, Vanderbilt has suspended forward Lee Dort. He was arrested for felony aggravated assault. Police were called to his dorm room on Vanderbilt's campus shortly after 1 a.m. Sunday. Dort's ex-girlfriend told police that Dort took her phone and shoved her against the wall and bedpost in their dorm room, per, per the report. Uh, the woman later slid down the bed and Dort allegedly gripped her by the neck. Uh, Dort was arrested later that morning at Memorial Gymnasium. Uh, Dort was later released for a $10,000 bond Sunday afternoon per, per the uh, sheriff's office. Coach Jerry Stackhouse says he is taking this situation really serious. Uh, per the Vanderbilt hustler, Dort has been suspended for the team for the time being. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about our game previews for this week. All right, guys, after last week, I didn't put the scores on the show because we still had games going on and that our point system for the scoring for the MTE was a little complicated, but um, here is the updated record. I am currently at 13 and eight this season. Uh, Maddie falls below 500 this week. It was a rough week for Maddie and the ACC SEC challenge. And our guests are currently at 11 and five for the year. Uh, that's how you know we bring on good guests. Uh, so Isaac's going to have to continue that for us. Uh, guests are almost at 70% this season. Kicking kicking some tail. Um, last week, our picker was Caleb from Woo Pig Weekly. Uh, let's see if Isaac can keep the guests hot this week. Let's go to the games. Oh, Canada. We've got a matchup in Toronto with Alabama and Purdue squaring off in the Hall of Fame showcase. 
Alabama coming in at 14 on Kim Palm. Purdue comes in at number two. Kim Palm has this game 88 to 83 at 67%. Isaac, I want to start with you. When you look at this game, where do you feel like the catalyst point in this game is between the Tide and the Boilermakers? I think the Crimson Tide have to get the sh- have to get their shot going from deep because you look at you look at um, Nate Oates and his offense. He hates mid range shots. He only he only loves shots on the inside or shots on the outside. It's how efficiency in basketball has been working recently, and so um, that's the, that's the game they have circled on their calendar this week. And so if Alabama is to win this game, they've got to make their shots from deep, and they've got. I mean, obviously you've got to lock down Zach Eady, but. At this point, without a Charles Bediaco type player for them, I mean, at this point, you just have to contain him. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Maddie, uh, we saw Arkansas kind of defend uh, Zach Eady in that exhibition game with athleticism. Um, we also saw Purdue go down to Northwestern uh, this weekend. Maddie, what are your thoughts uh, for the catalyst point between the Tide and the Boilermakers? I think that catalyst point was that loss to Northwestern this week for Purdue. I, you know, I think they're going to come in hot and they aren't going to accept anything less than a hundred percent. So if Alabama wants to win this game, um, like Isaac said, you're going to have to contain Zach Eady. And that's one of the big things that we talked about before the season got started is Alabama's front court struggles. Um, they're, I think they're going to struggle against Edie and like, like Isaac said, you know, They've got to have some hot shots coming out of the backcourt um, to make sure that that this game goes the way that they want it to. I, I definitely think you guys are both hitting the nail on the head is that Alabama has to beat Purdue with offense. Uh, like that's that's to me the biggest thing, because when you look at Alabama's defense, it's um, to put it mildly, it's not great so far. And the numbers are just horrible. Look at the defensive rating. They're over 106, which is 11th uh, in the SEC. Uh, And then when you look at the points per game, it's not necessarily horrible, um, only holding teams to under 75 points, which isn't great, but it's not the worst thing that you've ever seen. But when it comes to them playing P6 and P5 opponents, they're allowing 89.3 points per game. Uh, So you're going to have to figure out how to outscore your opponent if that's how you're going to play defense. There's a lot of concerns. They're also allowing 35% from their opponents from three. Um, so to me, this is this is a big deal. And to me, the front court is where the question is going to be because you got Zach Eady coming in, who's averaging a double-double every night. And he's over 60% from the field. So how do you stop Zach Eady? Do you, got, you guys got any answers in that one? You don't? You don't? <laughs> you just, you just, you pray. I mean, at this, it's really hard with Zach. It's really hard to... I mean, you, you you can't really stop Zach Eady as as we've seen this season. He's he's just a hope. He's a giant of a player. I mean, with this, you just you might have to just hope that he has a bad shooting night, uh, especially with Alabama and their lack of size. And or, I mean, they have athleticism, but with no with no defense, uh, it's just it. At this point, they're going to have to outscore them. It's gonna be if Alabama wants to win, it's gonna have to get into the nineties, maybe even triple digits. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. We saw Alabama struggle against one center this week with P.J. Hall uh, against Clemson. Maddie, any final thoughts before we get to the picks? Yeah, I think it's going to be very similar to the way Arkansas played Purdue in that exhibition game. They're going to have to beat them with athleticism. Like I said, you're going to have to have the backcourt on fire. That means forcing turnovers, getting a lot before they can even give the chance for their front board to be productive. Cutting off that entry pass down to Edie is going to be massively important for, for Alabama. And yeah, you're probably right. You're probably relying on your backcourt to cut off Purdue's backcourt uh, in that instance. All right, guys, 
All right. What are the picks, Isaac? We always start with the guests, so go ahead. I've got my pick in. I know who I'm picking, but go ahead, Isaac. Um, you know, it, I know it's really crazy for me to say this, but I think I'm going to have Purdue in this game. <laughs> That's who you're rocking with. Oh, it, I mean, it's shocking mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maddie, who are you going with? I'm going to go Purdue as well, just because of, you know, proximity. I feel like you're going to have a lot more Purdue alum that way in Toronto rather than uh, the deep south in Alabama. So it's going to feel a little more homey for those Purdue players. Um, and like I said, Got to rely heavily on the backcourt. They can't do it all. So I, I think Purdue's going to edge them out there a little bit. Well, speaking of players who are going to feel right at home, Zach Eady is from Canada. Uh, so I'm going to take Purdue as well, which means Alabama's going to win, uh, which seems to be their tradition on this show is when we all pick unanimously, uh, the other team wins. So, um, yeah, but I'm also going with Purdue. That is where my logic is leading me. But if Alabama wants to win this game, they're going to have to do it on the offensive end. Only thing that you really can do. Got to shoot the ball. Isaac's exactly right. Drop back, fade away three, baby. All right, let's move on to our next game. We've got Texas A&M coming in at 21 on Kempom, facing the Memphis Tigers who come in at 42 on Kempom. Uh, this game is going to be at College Station, and Kempom has it 81-74 uh, for the Aggies at 72%. Uh, Isaac, I'm going to start with you. Um, tell us a little bit more about this Memphis team. I know we've talked about them a lot, but just from someone who covers mid-major mid basketball, what's your perspective on Memphis at this point? So I had the chance to go down and watch Memphis the Friday before the week of Thanksgiving. And um, first of all, I did not they, they did not like me there. They don't like it when I call them a mid-major. Um, that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. But uh, I, went, I went and watched them play. And biggest surprise for me this season has been David Jones. He's a six, six forward for them. Uh, he's been, he's been, he's transferred around a bunch of different places. Last place he was at was DePaul, but this season averaging 18.4 points a game, 6.3 re rebounds. He's only six, six, but he's, he plays a lot taller and um, you know, I'm really excited to see what he can do against Texas A&M and um, Cole and uh, what's I'm sorry. And Henry Coleman, but on top of that, Javon Quinterly has to has to make make shots because that's the that's a big reason why Memphis lost the other night to Ole Miss was because Javon Quinterly was two for twelve from the field, only seven points that game. Um, as a transfer from Alabama, you know Quinterly can shoot the deep ball very well, but um, when he doesn't shoot well, when he doesn't play well, you've seen. I mean, they play they don't win. Uh, that loss to Villanova is still like is still absolutely killing them, um, but. They have a bunch of good scorers, but Quinterly is the catalyst for all of it. He's a great, great he's a, just a great playmaker. And it, when he's making shots, it creates shots for everyone, everyone else. I agree that Javon Quinterly is definitely someone that you need to get going on this Memphis team because David Jones, you're exactly right, is killing it. 18.4 points per game, uh, almost seven rebounds. He's at 6.3, so not almost seven, closer to six than seven, but he's averaging over six a night. Game high 36, which I watched in that Battle of Atlantis game, and I just thought the man could not miss all night. Uh, and he's averaging 30 minutes a night for uh, Memphis. He's a big part of this offense. You got to get him some help. Javon Quinterly, I agree with you, is a big part of that. Maddie, any thoughts on this uh, Memphis or Texas A&M at this point? You know, I think we're going to see something very similar to Ole Miss, um, even if we got Javon Quinterly getting shots up. Um, I think it's going to be a close game. I think we're going to see a lot of lead changes because of the styles of play. I feel like are very similar here between Texas A&M and Memphis, both heavily rely on 
um, their backcourt production. Um, Henry Coleman, I, I believe he's better and he's back playing. Um, so I, th- I think that'll be great for Texas A&M, definitely help them hold up the front court a little bit, but I think it's going to be a close one. I, I think one of the things that I'm thinking about right now has to do with rebounding. Um, we've talked about it with Texas A&M in the past. They don't really, you know, they don't really have this dominant big like a lot of teams do, but they rebound by committee very well. In fact, they're winning the boards right now thirteen by 13.4 boards per night, whereas Memphis is negative. They're losing the boards almost every evening right now by at least one rebound. Uh, they're at minus 1.9 for the season in their rebound differential uh, for their average for the year. All right, guys, let's talk about the picks. Who are you guys going with? Uh, any upset in store here or going against Kim Palm? Isaac, you are the guest. Always start there. I feel like when Memphis is heavily favored in games, they're lose, they lose. But in this situation, I feel like coming off that Ole Miss loss, Memphis is going to be on fire. And Texas A&M kind of in a lull right now after that after their loss to Virginia. Uh, I've got Memphis by a very narrow margin in this one. You got Memphis by a very narrow margin. All right, I dig it. I dig it. All right, Maddie, what are your thoughts? I'm going to take Texas A&M at home. It'd be different if it wasn't in Reed Arena, but I think that home court advantage helps them hedge out the competition just a little bit. I am waiting for Wade Taylor to have another big game in this one. Uh, To me, coming back home after that Virginia loss, to me, is kind of leaving a sour taste maybe in some Aggie fans' mouths. And it might be leaving a sour taste in Wade Taylor's mouth as well. I think he's a... I think he is probably the SEC player of the year if he could keep up this pace at 18.5 points per night. Uh, He had a game high at 35. So I'm looking for Wade Taylor to have a very, very good game for Texas A&M. But I don't think they're going to blow Memphis out by any means. I think Memphis is also pretty upset with the way that things have gone so far this season. So I'm expecting a fight, but I'm going Texas A&M in this one for this game. All right. Our next pick, our next game that we're previewing is a game that I go to almost every year, but this year I don't know if I'm heading there or not, but this one is the Crimson and Cardinal Classic between the Arkansas Razorbacks and the number 25 for now. AP poll comes out tomorrow. Uh, Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, guys, when you look at this game, what are you thinking about? Which team do you kind of favor? What are, you, what are your thoughts on Arkansas versus Oklahoma in Tulsa? It's hard to tell with it's hard to tell with Arkansas. That's my that's what we've talked about. They come out and have a great game against Duke, but then they'll then they drop two games. Um, in a, I mean they drop games to UNC Greensboro and Memphis. So it's hard to tell. In my opinion, I don't know who will. I don't know if Arkansas will come out with that same fire that they have had. But if they do, I I would I would like to take them. But you also have the Oklahoma Sooners who have some very underrated losses. I mean, or underrated wins. I mean, against you know USC who. Might not be as good as advertised this year, but they still are a ranked team. And then they have that Iowa win as well. So, uh, I mean, it's a very int- it's an interesting matchup because if Ar- I do feel like if Arkansas comes out with the same fire they did against Duke, then the, no one, not many teams in the nation can beat them. I, I would be of similar thought, but yeah, you're exactly right. That USC win, um, they USC coming in at 37 on Kim Palm, they win that one by two. And then Iowa coming in at 38 on Kempom. So right next to each other, they won that one by 12. Uh, so it was really great. Those two wins right there have been really great for Oklahoma's resume so far this season. Maddie, you did your preseason research on Oklahoma. What's kind of what are you kind of thinking on uh, on the Sooners? You know, I think Oklahoma, like those two games, played really well. But I feel like the matchups are going to get them in this game. Um, you know. Just not really a whole lot to get excited about in terms of having some like superstar powers over in Oklahoma. I think team ball is really what helped them get the wins in that. 
Um, so I think that's going to be kind of their downfall in this game against Arkansas. I got you. So where I'm really looking at is around the perimeter. Um, this has been Arkansas's worst part about their defense this season has been around the perimeter. Uh, they're aver- they're allowing seven fil- three-point field goals a ninth. They're eighth in the SEC when it comes to that. Their opponents are shooting 34.1%. They're 10th in the SEC in that. Uh, so there's been some issues around the perimeter this season for uh, Arkansas. And then Oklahoma's hitting 8.4 three-pointers a game. So to me, taking care of the perimeter on for Arkansas is the big concern uh, on the defensive end for the hogs, but uh, we'll see. They held Duke off pretty well. So if they can, if they can do it again and what Arkansas fans deem Bud Walton West out there in Tulsa at the BOK center, we'll see what happens guys. Go ahead. Let's go around the horn and get your picks. Uh, Isaac, we'll start with you. Um, I think in this one, I'm going to give Arkansas the narrow win here because uh, they obviously have Furman just a couple of days before that. And if they can get a win against Furman, I, I think it will be a good, a good uh, like lead into a win over Oklahoma. All right. I, I like it. Oklahoma also has faced Providence the next night uh, after for after the Fer- Arkansas Furman game. Uh, Maddie, your thoughts. I think we see Arkansas with the win here, not a blowout, um, kind of like Arkansas, like Isaac said, a narrow margin for Arkansas. I'm going to say maybe somewhere between six and eight points um, as a win over Oklahoma. I am going to be stressing about this because here we go again. Uh, somebody with the unanimous pick is one of these games are going to be wrong. This is probably the tight one, uh, in my opinion, but I- I'm also going Ar- Arkansas. Um, I I still think that Arkansas is the more experienced team. I think, you know, well, I that's a lot. That's an objective point there. But Arkansas is the more experienced team. I think they've got a little bit of things sorted out on the offensive end when it comes to the assists and figuring out how their offense is going to run. Uh, so if Arkansas can get ahead in this game early, I, th- I-, I think that's going to be the big thing. Whoever gets ahead in this game early has the last two years kind of swung the momentum in the basketball game uh, in that car and that game in Tulsa. So if Arkansas can get out ahead early, which I think they can do and can get around that 50% field goal percentage, which we've seen them do in their wins so far this season, I'm going to lean Arkansas in this. And I think you've also got some momentum built up after that Duke game. If you can beat Furman, you're starting to feel better about yourself and you can get some momentum rolling. Uh, so I'm also going Arkansas on this and we'll see if I regret it later as an Arkansas alumni. All right, so let's talk about for our fans or our friends up there just north of the border, uh, Missouri taking on Kansas in the border showdown. Guys, when I worked in Kansas City, this was always a game that I wish I could have gone to, but unfortunately the game was suspended for that time period. Um, But it's a classic rivalry. It's one of the best rivalries that we have in this conference with an outside opponent. Uh, and of course, this game is going to be an Allen Fieldhouse. Now, I don't really need to look at Kim Palm to tell you who's favored here. And I don't really think I need to uh, go into the numbers too hard. So we'll just go around the horn real quick. Tell us what you're looking at matchup wise, situation wise. How does Missouri possibly pull an upset in this game? Um, any any thoughts? Any thoughts on, on that regard on how the Tigers pull out a win in Allen Fieldhouse? Uh, Isaac, we'll start with you. Uh, can I pass it on to, uh, to Maddie? Go ahead. I, I think Isaac needs a second to think. <laughs> for for me, first thing that comes to mind, um, if Mizzou is able to take a win here, it's because they shocked the world and came out and played defense. <laughs> okay, explain what what you're seeing on the <laughs> defensive numbers for uh for Mizzou. I mean, <laughs> Mizzou's parity in their net rating or not parity, their kind of misalignment in their offensive rating versus defensive rating offense is very high, but 
their defensive rating is also very high. So it's one of those things you can't let a team like Kansas come in and run up 100 points on the scoreboard because I have a feeling that that's probably what's going to happen here. We've seen it time and time again with Mizzou. We saw it last season. They're just not productive when it comes to defense. Yeah, and the other area they're also not productive in, and we've talked about this in the offseason as well, and I didn't think it was necessarily going to improve, was rebounding. Um, they're terrible at it. Uh, they're one of the worst in the SEC, um, negative 1.3, and the uh, defensive uh, are in the rebound differential so far this season. This team has had struggles. I know they're going to get better in the next couple of years with all the centers they're bringing in and their next recruiting class. Uh, but right now they're bad at rebounding the basketball and Hunter Dickinson might grab quite a few boards uh, in this game for Kansas. Uh, and then Kansas has a ton of players that you're also looking at. So to me, if Missouri's going to pull this off, it's going to be from the three because Kansas is apparently looking at the stats. They're not the greatest three point defense in the country. So if Mizzou can hit some shots. Uh, and bump up that 9.5 average that they have and three-point field goals made, maybe there's a path forward. We saw UConn hang around with uh, Kansas this weekend because they were shooting a little bit better from three early in that game when Kansas was trying to jump all over them. So Mizzou's known for their three-point shooting. Nick Honor, 2.6 field goal, three-point uh, three goals per night. So I think that's the path. I, I think you're going to have to make your shots count. You're going to have to make a lot of them count from deep as well. All right, let's go around the horn real quick because I think I know where the picks are. Isaac, we'll start with you on this one. <laughs> oh, real quick before I before I vote, I did want to I did want to give a little shout out to a former mid major player on this Mizzou roster that I feel like if if they do play him right, I mean obviously he's only getting ten minutes a game at this moment, but he is a big body on the court that maybe could possibly guard Hunter Dickerson. You might know where I'm going with this, Connor okay. Vanover. <laughs> uh, he's only getting 10 minutes a game, but it's kind of a, a situation where you have a big body and you put him up against uh, Hunter Dickinson. This tallest player on this Mizzou team that had, gets consistent minutes is six foot eight. And Hunter Dickinson standing well over seven feet tall is going to be a very big matchup nightmare. And so if, if they do want to, if Mizzou does want to kind of give Kansas a bit of a shock to start the game, that might be a way to do it. I'm, I'm obviously, um, obviously I, I don't think that, Obviously, I don't think that Vanover is a player that's going to be playing a lot of minutes a lot of the time. But at seven foot five, that that's a shock that I feel like they could they could one hundred percent give to Kansas. Now, obviously, I'm going to give Kansas the win here, though, because I mean it's Kansas. They have wins over Kentucky. They just beat UConn. I mean, Mizzou is just another. It's just a, it's almost a mid major win to them. Yeah, I, I would I would understand that opinion. I, I beg my difference, but I'm not with you on the Vanover stuff. Like, I get it. Yeah. I, I know the size has to make a difference. Uh, you brought him in. But a player that I would think about, like, I understand where you're coming from with the size idea from Connor Vanover. But I would be looking at Jordan Butler. I think he's the more talented one. He's just young uh, and inexperienced. So he might be able to cause a little chaos. He also has the ability to come out and do a little bit of stretch and uh, shoot a little bit as well. So maybe that's supplementing Vanover and Butler back and forth. Trying to take down Hunter Dickinson any way you can might be another option. And also gives you a little bit of three ball as well from your five spot if you do that. Uh, so those, that might be a combination for success. I don't think it's going to be Vanover alone, but I think you're going to have to have mm -hmm. Butler making, playing some good basketball as well. Uh, I'm going to pick Kansas, Maddie, who are you taking? I'm going Kansas as well. Unless Isaac knows something that we don't, they fed Connor Vanover, like a Thanksgiving feast for the entire week and <laughs> the week after. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think Kansas is getting a win here. Okay. I just had to give Vanover a shout out because he is an Arkansas native of Little Rock. So, oh yeah, no, def- definitely his brother coaches up at Conway at the UCA Bears. Um, one of the one of the grad assistants up there. Um, definitely, he's a he's a he's a love player as far as from his uh, standpoint as an Arkansas native. His family makes contributions here in Arkansas. Love the kid to death. I just sometimes look at the numbers and get really really nervous. Mm-hmm. Having to rely on Connor Vanover as my big man. All right, let's go to Tennessee, Illinois. Uh, this game really kind of interesting for a lot of different reasons. Now, one of the things that I'm I'm looking at is Dalton Connect. We don't know the exact status yet for his injury uh, in that North Carolina game. Um, he's the leading scorer on this team, and Tennessee's going to be asking somebody else if he's out for some help on the offensive end. It's it's a little nerve wracking. And then on the other side, Illinois also plays some really good defense as well. Now, in this game, Tennessee currently coming in 10th on Kim Palm. They're on a three game losing stretch. Uh, and then Illinois at 18 uh, coming in this game. Kim Palm has Tennessee favored 74 68 at home. Guys, let's do this one really quick. What are your thoughts and who are you taking in this game? I think that I have Tennessee just because, you know, coming off three losses, we have talked about the motivation that many teams will have after, you know, multiple losses. They, they, they've, they've lost three games in a row. And at some point they're going to get, t- they're tired of losing. And so going up against another defensive minded team, Tennessee and uh, coach Rick Barnes are going to have to, um, you know, focus on defense more this week because, you know, they know that they might, they're going to have to focus on offense as well because they, they are facing a very good defense, but um, Tennessee, just, if you, sh- if you look at the numbers, I mean, Illinois ha- is kind of one of those teams that you don't see a lot of. You haven't seen a lot of this season. They've only really played Marquette, and then they have that big win over Rutgers. But besides that, um, Tennessee has shown that they can stay in games with the best of them. And then even that win over Syracuse is another big one. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, Tennessee can play with anybody in the country. Even when they got down on at the Dean Dome, they uh, fought back as hard as they possibly could. So I, I definitely am in the belief that Tennessee's better than their record. Maddie. What are your thoughts on this game? Remember, this game is also in TBA. Yeah, I think we do see Tennessee have a bounce back game here. But the thing that worries me is looking over the stats. We have, you know, very similar statistics uh, around the points that they score per game, points allowed per game is decently close, about a 10 point margin. Um, But the big thing that stands out to me is the rebound differential. With Illinois, you've got about 14 a game and Tennessee is under two. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if they're going to be able to pull down boards in this game versus Illinois. I think that's going to be the big factor here. I I, I can definitely agree with that. Um, when I'm looking at it, yeah, I, I'm with you guys. It's Illinois defense is what mainly concerns me the most. Uh, they're also very good on the defensive glass at 80, over 80% on their uh, defensive rebound percentage. All right, guys, let's go around real fast. Did you guys both have Tennessee? I, I think I just realized both of you guys picked Tennessee. Did you not? I am also picking Tennessee in this game. Uh, I think they've also got that George Mason game that they can have a bounce back with and get themselves right before picking up what would be, according to Kim Palm right now, their second biggest win of the season. Wisconsin currently just two two spots higher than them in Kim Palm. Um, but I think this one might last a little bit longer uh, at the top spot. So this might be the best win they get so far. And having it at home is a really, really good opportunity because they have not had a big game yet at home. All right, so let's turn the page and go to our last game that we're picking here on our game preview portion of the show, and that is the Palmetto Showdown uh, this year taking place in Clemson, South Carolina at the Little John 
Coliseum. Guys, last year, South Carolina wins this game uh, just barely, and it was probably so far one of the biggest wins of the um, of the Lamont-Paris era outside of that Kentucky win last season. Um, but when you look at this game, what are you really thinking about who wins this one and why? Uh, I'll go through the Kimpom numbers in just a second after you guys give me a little bit of thought on this. I need to pull them up real quick. <laughs> See, this is a tough game for me to for me to gauge because you have two teams uh, that are both undefeated, and uh, obviously, I think Clemson has the bigger wins. They have they have UAB a win over UAB, win over Boise State, and win over Alabama. Uh, three, I mean, Alabama is the, the one that is just the just absolutely popping out at me right now. But then South Carolina has that win over Grand Canyon and also win over Notre Dame. Two big wins there. And also, um, George Washington, I feel like, is a bit of an underrated win. George, I, I kind of considered them as, I mean, not a top 25 mid-major team, obviously, but top 50 in my mind. So, um, I, South Carolina has showed that they can win, but the only, th only thing is, can they beat a team, a team like Clemson, who will probably be ranked come tomorrow? Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, that Grand Canyon win is just, um, it's a great win. People don't realize how good that win is if you don't follow mid-major basketball because um, I believe it was the Resource Nexus actually ranked Grand Canyon their number one mid-major coming into the season. Uh, very, very good basketball team. And so be getting a win in Phoenix, which was semi-away according to Kim Palm and their, uh, their metrics there, that was a great win at the Arizona tip-off. Maddie, what are your thoughts? And then we'll uh, go into Clemson a little bit. I think this one, um, you know, very similar to the last game we talked about with the Bulls in Illinois, very similar statistics for each team. You know, Isaac pointed out both undefeated, so it's hard to kind of see kind of where where those differences really lie um, in in teams like this that have such similar stats when you're, you know, just comparing, comparing numbers. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting game. Clemson at home, though. With the home court advantage is, I think, tipping the scales a little bit. I can definitely agree with that. I'm looking at two players. Um, center of the tension to me is P.J. Hall. Uh, 21 points per game, seven rebounds a night. Game high, 29 points, 2.2 blocks per night. He was great against Alabama. He's going to be tough against South Carolina at home. Uh, I, I think he's a really great player. But for South Carolina, the guy I'm going to be looking toward, if he can take over this game, it can keep this thing really close. It is a rivalry game, so you never know really what's going to happen. That's Michi Johnson. 17.9 uh, points per game. Uh, 29 points also for his game high. He's averaging 28 minutes a night. He's going to be important in the backcourt. And I, I think that's where it's going to be really interesting is Clemson's, Clemson's front court and South Carolina's backcourt, which way you're kind of turning. But I am going Clemson in this game. Uh, that's my pick. I think a uh, little John Coliseum might be a little too much. Isaac, did we get your pick in? No. Um, I want, I, I think Clemson does have an advantage in this game, but I feel like we are all picking kind of the same teams. And I do feel like I, I South Carolina. Yeah. I feel like South Carolina has a good chance to win this one. And um, so I, I, I'm going to give a small advantage to South Carolina because you do say it is like a home game for Clemson, but you know that a lot of South Carolina fans are going to travel to Clemson to watch this game. And so it could be very, it could very well be a 50, 50, maybe possible, barely Clemson advantage here. So I don't see it being too much of a home court advantage for Clemson. I, I see it being very, very competitive, but I get where you're coming from is that like when you're that close to each other, fans are going to travel and that's what makes rivalry games. So, so much fun. So that's one of the reasons that we wanted to circle this game today. All right, I want to thank Isaac for coming by and talking basketball with us today. Isaac, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you at? 
All right. So I, I do NBA beat writing for Sports Illustrated and the Dallas Mavericks. So you can find me on Sports Illustrated, mid-major, Sports oh, yeah. Illustrated, Fan Nation, um, working for um, on DallasBasketball.com. And then also I do work for Mid-Major Madness, um, SB Nation. And I, I write mid-major feature articles and I like to travel a lot to mid-major basketball games. So, you know, if you ever see one of my tweets that I might be at a mid-major basketball game or anything, make sure to come up and say hi. I'd, I'd love to. I just love to talk to people that just love basketball. So, so if Isaac will, you know, want to come back sometime, I definitely am planning on inviting him onto the mid-major report at some point this season, especially when we get turned into conference play. So we can kind of do a preview time for that. I think that'll be super fun, uh, especially with the conferences that we cover here on this channel. Guys, thank you so much for checking out the show this week. And thank you for liking and subscribing to the YouTube channel and following us wherever you guys get your podcast. We did hit one of the first big numbers uh, for YouTube this week. We are now over 500 subscribers, uh, which is a massive number on YouTube and one of the most important ones to get. Uh, so thank you guys so much. Please continue to listen. Uh, we love doing this show and we love to have guests brought on and talk basketball with them. So um, if you're not a subscriber, we'd love to have you as a subscriber as well. Uh, so until next week, everybody, we'll catch you next time. All right, guys. Have a great week. Thank you.